I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I have to tell you, it's been a difficult uh, week trying to decide what it was we were going to talk about today. Uh, there's just so much going on. Uh, first of all, it's it's October. It's one of the months of Mary. We had the uh, the feast of Our Lady the Rosary. We had the hundredth anniversary of Fatima, uh, and so that was definitely a direction that we could go. Uh, we also uh, are coming up on uh, All Hallows Eve, October thirty first, which is affectionately known as the day that Christmas music starts playing on the radio. Uh, it's also uh, the day that we recognize the, the uh, those who have gone before us, the saints in heaven. And, and that's a, a very important topic and, and one that we're going to talk about next week. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic show. And I, I really want to encourage you, make sure that you catch that one. Uh, but today I've opted uh, to go ahead and talk about that other thing that um, that in some circles October 31st is known for. Uh, no, it's not trick-or-treating. Uh, rather, it is the, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, which occurred 500 years ago uh, this year. And so it, it's a big deal in uh, in a lot of circles. In fact, my Facebook has been overrun by um, by folks from my Protestant days who have not yet converted, uh, who are really kind of excited about this and looking for different ways to commemorate it. Uh, and and so it's an opportunity for us because now they're they're talking about the reasons of the Reformation. It's an opportunity for us uh, to engage in that conversation and to hopefully shed some light on truth, not in an antagonistic way, but in a very inviting way as we enter into those discussions. So uh, I've invited one of my favorite apologists, he's been on the show a number of times, uh, to come and talk to us about one of those things that really spurred on, uh, was a catalyst for uh, the Protestant Reformation, and that is indulgences and the idea of purgatory. Uh, and specifically, uh, a lot of people think it's just indulgences rather than uh, what it really was, was against the sale of indulgences that he was upset about, among a number of other things. But I know a, a number of folks who who just assume that the Catholic Church no longer observes indulgences, no longer believes in purgatory. Uh, believe me, uh, it's a surprise, I'm sure, but I've met them. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what is purgatory, why we have the idea of purgatory, uh, and what indulgences are, and, and why they were problematic at the time uh, that that Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door. Uh, so it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, we're going to get into that just in a little while. Uh, and it's one worth not only uh, listening to, but then going onto social media and sharing the podcast of because you you've got a lot of friends who don't listen to the to Catholic radio, uh, and so this is going to be an opportunity for you to go on to our episode archives at outsidethewalls.com. Uh, click that episode archive link, find today's link, and then there's a, a share button right there. All you have to do is hit share, tell it where you want to share it, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, or some other uh, source, and then post this specific episode. Uh, and then while you're there, maybe you uh, maybe you don't catch the whole show because you're always in the car this time of day, uh, but you then you get where you're going and you have to get out and go somewhere. This is the perfect opportunity while you're there at the website sharing this episode on your social media uh, to also go ahead and subscribe 
to the podcast. The podcast is exactly the same as what's broadcast on air, except you can listen to it at your leisure. And so you never miss an episode. You don't even uh, miss that one little part where the guy cut you off and you had to honk real loud and you missed what it was I said. When you subscribe to the podcast, it comes to your phone or your podcast listening device, even whether that be your computer or whatnot. And it's right there. Uh, every time just waiting for you to listen on demand. You need to pause it? No problem. You pause it and then you then you move on. So why don't you, while you're there sharing this episode, uh, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, rate it on iTunes or whatever other uh, podcasting aggregating uh, service you use. And then before you leave outsidethewalls.com, there is one extra link I want you to take a look at. And it says patreon-support-the-show. And the Patreon is a program, uh, a, a service by which you can support the work that we do here at Outside the Walls. You say, hey, these are really important conversations. I, I, I love listening to them. I'm glad that they're being had. And I want to make sure that they continue in perpetuity. And so what you can do is click on uh, that link, Patreon hyphen support the show, uh, and take a look. Uh, there are a number of different levels that you can support the show, whether that be $2 a month uh, to quite a bit more. And with each of those different levels, there are different gifts that you can receive as part of that. All of this and more is available at your fingertips at any time of day by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. So this has been an interesting week for me. I'm in the middle of praying uh, the, 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 the St. Jude Novena, I think today's day three, uh, and I have this great little, in fact, I put a picture up on my personal Facebook. I'll probably put a picture up on uh, on the social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. I got this great little um, third class relic of St. Jude that's in, it's it's not a metal M-E-D-A-L, but it is made of metal. It's a little bas relief of St. Jude with uh, the third class relic embedded in it. And so uh, I've been, I've been praying uh, this this novena, these nine days leading up to the uh, the f- feast of Saints Simon and Jude. And of course, my youngest son is named Jude, so he has a very special place in uh, in our life as a family and in our prayers. Uh, and there's a this has been something that has new for me. This idea of praying novenas on a more regular basis. Just finished up with with one here recently and jumped right back in. And I'm doing that with. Uh, the PrayMoreNovenas.com. We've uh, we've had them on the show before to talk about their work, and then uh, this uh, t- this Sunday at four p.m. at Saint Anne's Church in Broken Arrow. Uh, if you are nearby this area, that there is a, a talk on how to pray with your family using sacramentals, and that's something uh, that I'm very excited about. Something we'll come back here and talk about uh, before too long because it, it, I think it's just essential for us as a family, uh, and you as your family, to, to look at what does it mean, what does it look like to pray together, right? You, you look at the disciples, and they're walking around with Jesus for those three years, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. This should be obvious that prayer is not a natural uh, thing that we just kind of know right off the bat. Certainly, there's a desire built into us in the core of our being to connect with the divine. That's something that that we are hardwired to desire. Uh, 
And yet, even as we are hardwired to desire connecting with the divine, we don't often know how to do it well. Now, as you and I grow in faith and we, uh, we become disciples of Jesus, not just merely going to church, but actually learning from Christ and from a spiritual director and from our pastor, as we spend time to grow in faith, it's easy for us to forget that those who are around us and those who we have some responsibility for, our children, uh, they, they don't know this instinctually, how to pray. And so it's important that we, as a family, take the time uh, to invest in prayer. Uh, for us and our family, that often looks like we've got a, an hour that we, as a family, do adoration. And it's great because we have a, a place that we go to adoration where when we sign up for our hour, we're the only people there. And so it's it's great because very often when there's a, a more crowded adoration time, I'm nervous to take the kids because I know they're going to make noise and I don't want to distract, distract someone else from their practice of faith. I don't mind doing it during mass, but for some reason that meditative time of adoration feels different to me. Uh, but I found a place where we can go with our whole brood, all nine of us, tromping into uh, to the chapel. And we can sit in front of Jesus, and you know, Jesus doesn't care if the kids are squirmy. He doesn't. We can teach them by uh, example what it looks like to be reverent in the presence of Christ, what it looks like to pray and to pour out our heart to Christ through prayers and petitions and intercessions. And if our children don't see it, if they don't experience it, how can they ever know it? Maybe you didn't see this growing up. Maybe you had to learn it in your practice of faith. Maybe it took you time, and so you're thinking that's the way it's done. Uh, and yet, why would we want to make things as difficult on our children as, as it has been on us to grow in the faith? If we've been given this beautiful practice of faith and we have an understanding of it, wouldn't it make more sense to help them meet that that built-in need to connect with the divine to give them very strong and practical ways to do that. So this Sunday at St. Anne's in Broken Arrow is a fabulous opportunity to, to learn a little bit more about how to do that. Uh, October 22nd at 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. is the Praying with Sacramentals as a Family. It's going to be a great presentation. If you go over to my social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls, Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls, I will put up a link to, uh, to this specific event for you to take a look at it and see if it may be worth the drive, even if you're out there in Oklahoma City or beyond. I'll be there with the family, and it, just it'd be a pleasure to, to make your acquaintance and say hello. What about you? Uh, what does your family prayer time look like? Why don't you come over and tell me uh, over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I'd love to hear what you do. Now, don't go anywhere, because when we come back, we're going to be talking with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. He's the author behind the award-winning blog, shamelesspopery.com. And we're going to be talking about indulgences, purgatory, and how their mis the misunderstanding and misuse of them helped spark the Protestant Reformation, and what a proper understanding of them is for us today. Don't go anywhere. There is much more right around the corner, right here on Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're we're jumping the gun just a little bit. Uh, next week, uh, actually, after next week's show, uh, October 31st, the Eve of All Saints, or All Hallows Eve, uh, is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And there's a lot of commemorations going on, both those who celebrate it and those who are merely marking the occasion uh, with some sadness about the, the schism that has uh, perpetuated uh, in on, not only from the Catholic Church, but then even among itself uh, in these 500 intervening years. Uh, so you're going to hear a lot about that if you're on Facebook. Uh, I've got a lot of, uh, of my still Protestant friends who are posting all kinds of articles and having very interesting discussions uh, during this time. You also see a lot of, uh, of churches that are uh, having some kind of remembrance, whether that be through celebration or otherwise, uh, talking about what were the causes, what were the things that, uh, that preceded the Protestant Reformation, and specifically, what are the things that we can and should learn from it uh, in terms of how we live our faith today. And so uh, next week, we're going to be spending our time talking specifically about All Saints. I don't want to really get involved in that commemoration so much as I do want to live out our faith. Uh, But this is an important topic because of some of the things that go into it. So today we're going to talk about uh, specifically about indulgences and about purgatory, because that's one of the the main things that was cited as a cause for the Reformation by uh, Martin Luther himself, and it's something that there's still a great deal of confusion about. So today we welcome Joe Heschmeyer, one of my favorite guests. Uh, He recently was awarded uh, number 33 of the best Catholic blogs on the planet from Feedspot.com. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, and is currently serving a pastoral year at the uh, University of Kansas. Uh, welcome, Joe. Glad to have you here today. Thank you. Great to be here. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, you you specialize on your blog, Shameless Popery, uh, in in depth apologetics. So this is a topic that I'm sure, no doubt, uh, has come across your desk many times. Uh, let's talk about starting with indulgences. This is something a lot of people. Uh, they think that when the church condemned the selling of indulgences, perhaps they also condemned indulgences themselves. Uh, talk a little bit about what they are and, and uh, what the church still does with them. Um, so I think that the, there's two important distinctions to make uh, sort of out the gate. The first is between mortal and venial sin. And the second is between what we can call the eternal and the temporal consequences of sin. Um, and those two are both, they're closely related, and it's kind of the background to understanding what an indulgence is, because it's often misunderstood. Right. Uh, so to begin with, let's talk about mortal and venial sin, because that's pretty easy to show just directly in sacred scripture. In uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 to 17, he says that if anyone sees his brother committing what is not a mortal sin, he will ask and God will give him life for those whose sin is not mortal. There is a sin which is mortal. I do not say that one is to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not mortal. So there's a lot we could say about those two verses. Mm -hmm. But for now, I think it's important just to see that distinction between sin that's deadly or mortal and sin that isn't deadly, which we would call venial. Right. So 
what's, what is that difference? Well, one of them, deadly sin, leads to spiritual death. It cuts off the life of grace in our soul, and if you die without repenting, uh, you'll go to hell. Um, so what does it mean to say a sin is deadly? Like what, what sins fall in that more serious category uh, that St. John is talking about? Well, it's sins of a grave nature. So we're not talking about like stealing a penny from, you know, your neighbor. Uh, and it's sins that are done freely. So there, you know, something can be of a serious nature, but because you didn't do it consensually or because you didn't do it knowing that it was wrong, you know, we can come with all sorts of hypotheticals in which you're innocently um, ignorant or innocently inculpable because you weren't, you know, a willing, whatever else. Right. But if you are knowingly, consciously, freely choosing to do seriously sinful things, that's mortal sin. And that cuts off the life of grace in the soul. And if you don't repent of that, no amount of penance, no amount of indulgences, will change the fact that you're um, headed towards hell. You have to have contrition. You have to have, like, you have to have this turning back towards God, um, which, you know, of course is possible only with grace. But, so it's not something that an indulgence uh, can fix. Right. So where do indulgences kind of enter into the picture? Well, it's because there are two sets of consequences to sin. Um, there are the eternal consequences in the case of mortal sin, meaning that you've uh, headed towards hell, you've made a decision against God, and that has eternal ramifications. But there are also temporal consequences of sin. So we can think about this in particular cases very easily. Let's say you steal your neighbor's car, and you know you get home and you just feel awful about it, and you're truly contrite on your knees and you beg God for forgiveness and, you know, you, <laughs> you get right with God. Maybe you go to confession the next day, etc. The question then is, do you still have to give back the car? <laughs> and the answer, of course, is yes. Um, because with the movement of sin, there's a movement away from God. Mm-hmm. And that movement is either partial or complete, depending on the severity of the sin. Movement towards a created thing in an improper manner. You, uh, maybe you raise a created thing to a level it doesn't deserve, like you idolize it or you covet it or, you know, like, so you've damaged your relationship with something in the created world. Right. Um, and this is true of basically any sin. And so even if you, if you get right with God, you still, like this damage to the relationship still needs to be worked on. And that takes a lot of different forms. Like if you routinely lie to your neighbor, uh, you're going to have to probably like do a lot of bridge building and just saying like, Hey, you know, I said, I'm sorry. Right. may not be enough. You've got to like rebuild all of that trust. So with any sin, there's this um, like horizontal damage and vertical damage. If you want to think about it that way, vertical damage, they mean this relationship with God and the horizontal damage with, with neighbor, with creation, et cetera. Um, so the Catholic church takes this idea very seriously that sin doesn't just like, it's very easy to think of it legalistically, that it puts us in the hell box or the heaven box, you know, that, and all we have to do is like switch you from one box to the other. It's like all black and white, et cetera. But sin is much more uh, pernicious than that. And so there's all of these other implications to it. And so the church prescribes penance 
to help, you know, cultivate more of a spiritual growth to, to make up for some of the spiritual damage that sin has caused in your own soul. And then also uh, may prescribe some sort of practice to like help repair some of those damaged relationships, depending again on the nature of the sin, et cetera. You know, in my, so, uh, in my tradition growing up, I grew up in the Methodist church and there was this idea of um, pursuing holiness and, and uh, John Wesley once said there is no holiness outside of social holiness, that that how we are uh, relating to others around us uh, is very important. The relationships we have with one another in, in holiness is important. Uh, and so I see this in, in that light in, in the way of we have to be cautious of not just whether or not we're in right relationship uh, with God, but whether our souls are are ordered toward holiness, whether that be toward God or toward our neighbor. And that work is called sanctification. Uh, that work has to be done one way or the other. Uh, and, and so it, it, this is a little different perhaps than, than the Lutheran view or the original Lutheran view of things, but it's still one of those prime Protestant views of, hey, there's work that I have to do, not just of getting covered over and uh, having Christ's righteousness imputed to me, but there's some work I've got to do uh, to get to a place where I'm living a holy life. Yeah. I mean, as scripture says, you can't love God who you don't see if you hate your neighbor who you do see. So, you know, one way I've heard this put radically is nobody gets to heaven on their own. Meaning like (laughs) if you're awful to everyone around you, you can't just say, yeah, but me and Jesus have a really good personal relationship right? because <laughs> these are the people he died for. And if you're horrible to them, you're being horrible to him. So this is where um, indulgences start to enter in because there's a recognition that you can have a damage to your relationship with God and a neighbor without having it being of the level where you're actually going to hell. This is where purgatory comes in. It's a continuation of this purgative process that begins on earth. This process of being purged of your connection to sin begins here and now. But if you're not uh, cleansed of that connection, that process will continue because scripture says that nothing impure can enter heaven. So if you have impurities in your soul, not to the level that they're mortal sins, but to the levels that there's still like a venial connection, you need to be purified of that. And the purgative process here and hereafter is how you get there. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think of uh, sometimes purgatory as a, as a third option or a third destination, you know, heaven, hell, and purgatory, rather than uh, a process that purgatory is the, the process by which we are fully sanctified to the place where we are then ready to go into the, the very presence of the most holy God uh, and to receive the beatific vision. I've often wondered if we hadn't given that process the name purgatory, if as many people would be uh, up in arms about it. Uh, but that's a question that will remain unanswered. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break with Joe Heschmeyer. He's a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, and the blogger behind shamelesspopery.com. We're going to continue the conversation about purgatory, indulgences, and more right after this. Join the continuing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. At Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back with much more right after this on Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking about indulgences and purgatory as we uh, think about those things that were significant causes in the Protestant Reformation, which the anniversary is coming up on the 31st of October, uh, 500th anniversary. We're here today talking with Joe Heschmeyer. Uh, he's got a wonderful blog, an apologetic blog called shamelesspopery.com. Uh, recently was awarded the th- number 33 in the best Catholic blogs on the planet by feedspot.com. Uh, so definitely it's one that you want to go take a look at. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. So we're talking about indulgences, and we've talked in the last segment about uh, the difference between mortal sin and venial sin and temporal punishment and eternal punishment, and and talked a little bit about uh, what an indulgence is, that, that well, rather than what purgatory is, that it's, it's uh, that process by which we are entirely sanctified uh, so that we can enter into the beatific vision. This is for people who are uh, already going, regardless, if you're in purgatory, heaven is your destination. In fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church in 1030 says, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. Remember, because uh, the eternal reward, the eternal punishment has been taken care of. But after death, they undergo a purification so as to achieve holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Uh, So we're talking about this process of being purified, or as we read in Scripture as well, that he, Christ, who began a good work in you, is faithful to bring it to completion on the day, the day of judgment. And so even if we die imperfectly and we're not completely uh, shed of our, our attachment to our bad habits, those things that are sinful and yet not uh, deadly so, uh, that he's still going to bring about completion. He's going to complete that good work uh, by bringing us to full purification. So let's talk a little bit about the role that indulgences played in the Reformation as, as they uh, were kind of a catalyst for Martin Luther to begin uh, his, his split. So talk to us a little bit about that, Joe. Okay, well, let's explain what an indulgence is first. Uh, canon law in Canon 992 uh, and the Catechism in paragraph 1471 give the same definition for an indulgence. And I'm going to read it slowly because I think it's important to know, because I think it's something that's commonly misunderstood. Here's what it says. An indulgence is a remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins, whose guilt has already been forgiven, which the faithful Christian who is duly disposed gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with authority, the treasure of the satisfactions of Christ and the saints. End quote. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. Right. The first thing is that we're dealing with sin that's already been forgiven. So if you've committed a mortal sin and you're going to hell and you're not contrite and you don't turn to Christ, you can't get an indulgence, A. Mm-hmm. And B, it wouldn't do you any good if you could, because you'd still have the eternal consequences due to sin. Right. But if you have been forgiven, if you're a Christian in a state of grace and still sin, still struggle with sin— still need to be forgiven. This is where temporal consequences of sin come in, which is what we talked about in the last segment, 
And it's here that the indulgence is a remission of what's due there on the temporal consequences level. So if you would be going to purgatory for X amount of time, reduced or eliminated altogether if you do something that the church prescribes with the right intention. So, you know, one example of a friend of mine, actually one of the professors here at KU at the uh, Institute for Faith and Culture, he found that one of his sons had decided to do a science experiment by pouring rice on his other son's head and made a huge mess all over the floor. So Patrick, the, the father, he uh, realizes that it's just completely impractical to have a small child clean up a bunch of rice. It's only going to make the situation worse. Right. And so he has him do something else instead while he, Patrick, cleans up the rice. That's basically what an indulgence is. Like maybe you can't fix the actual damage you've done. You can do something that cultivates the growth of charity in your soul that, you know, it doesn't have to be the exact same thing that maybe caused a, a decline or loss of charity originally. Mm-hmm. So it's all about spiritually growing. Like it, the point of an indulgence is to build up sanctification in your soul, to build those spiritual muscles. And the church gives some prescribed ways to do that um, and uses her own authority as the, you know, the, the body that Christ put on earth and said, you can bind and loosen and it'll be held bound or loosened in heaven. So she uses her full authority there given to her by Christ to encourage her sons and daughters to, to grow in charity in this way. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, and a purveyor of the blog shamelesspopery.com. And we're talking about indulgences. So here we have uh, this, this practice of, of, doing something that that helps us to grow in holiness and sanctification here so that less will need to be there will there will be less purification needed uh, when we die uh, and so there's kind of a even though it's not a, a strict balance sheet there is this sense of uh, an offsetting because purgatory is not necessary for every single Christian, uh, those who go through a specific amount of uh, a specific kind of suffering and are purified by that and allow themselves to be humbled and purified by that. Those who are martyred, the church says, uh, they endure that purification in the moment of their martyrdom. Uh, and so this is merely, really, a grace that God gives as a way for us to continue to be purified and to enjoy his presence. So how did this become problematic? Well, because one of the things that the church encourages is almsgiving. Mm-hmm. This is something that scripture encourages, something that Christ encourages, that there is a heavenly reward for giving of alms. Um, but there's a difference between giving alms out of charity and trying to buy heavenly reward. Right. Uh, so let's look at scripture and then kind of go to the, the specifics of the 16th century right after that. So in Matthew 6... Uh, Jesus talks about how to properly practice piety and how not to. So he warns us, when you give alms, don't sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and the streets, that they can be praised by men. They've already received the reward. And he says, when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Mm-hmm. That's Matthew 6, 1 to 4, 2 to 4. So, so what's striking in that passage is that Christ is very clearly saying that almsgiving leads to a reward. Either 
an earthly reward in terms of getting accolades from your fellow men like the Pharisees do, or a heavenly reward like those given in secret. Now, there's a lot of ways to read that passage correctly and a lot of ways to misinterpret that passage. So how would we not want to respond to that passage? We wouldn't want to respond to that passage by just trying to cut a check quietly, secretly, and hoping to kind of buy our way to heaven or buy our way to a heavenly reward. Right. Um, but that might look the exact same way as someone who's actually faithfully following it, who's giving alms in a true spirit of charity, looking to God, but not to man in terms of trying to please God rather than please men. Like Christ promises that person will be rewarded, but that's not the same as buying your way to heaven or buying your way to a heavenly reward. And the difference there is all invisible. It's on the level of intent. It's why we do the thing that we do. So that's an important backdrop to bear in mind when we talk about this whole issue of selling indulgences. Almsgiving is Christian. It's part of the Christian tradition. It's something that we as Christians ought to be doing. We need to be doing it's, you know, even the widow who gives her two coins in the temple. So even if we're not incredibly wealthy, we need to be giving. Right. But that doesn't mean we get to buy spiritual rewards, even if Christ has promised to spiritually reward almsgiving. So in the particular case of the 16th century, St. Peter's Church, the most famous church in all of Christianity, uh, had become run down. There was a church dating back to about the time of Constantine. And it was too small, it was too run down, and they wanted a bigger, more glorious church for the honor of God and to keep the relics of St. Peter the Apostle. Mm -hmm. And so one of the practices they really encouraged was almsgiving to help build St. Peter's. And of itself, that's all really good and exactly the kind of thing that we're promised scripturally well, will lead to a heavenly reward. So it's, it's appropriate that that be the kind of thing that there's an indulgence connected to. But the problem is, it was being preached as if you could simply uh, purchase your way to heaven, which as we already saw, that's not what an indulgence is. It's not a buy a ticket to heaven. It's, if anything, a get out of purgatory card. I'm not even going to say get out of purgatory free. It's right. through the merits of Christ and the saints um, applied to, to your sins. So the preacher Tetzel when he comes to Wittenberg, the area where Luther is, he's actually just outside there because they won't even let him in the city because he's kind of notorious. But he preaches, um, there's a little ditty that he, he has that in English is given to us as, uh, when the coin into the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so this notion that you just like, you've got loved ones in purgatory or you're worried about going to purgatory yourself, just uh, pay up. And this became a very kind of gross um, mercantile kind of, you know, like just became very much like trying to purchase your way out of purgatory for yourself or for other people. And and many of the people who responded to this, I'm sure were Mm well-intentioned, but it it was the corruption of the system. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue this conversation with Joe Heschmeyer of shamelesspopery.com into the next segment. We don't want to cut off right here. It's just getting interesting. Join the continuing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There's much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily life. Today, we're talking about indulgences, and we're talking with Joe Heschmeyer, author of the blog Shameless Popery, a great in-depth apologetic blog. If you've never gone there, you absolutely should. Uh, you should because it's one of the 33 best Catholic uh, blogs on the planet, according to uh, feedblog.com. Hey, uh, Joe, thanks for being here. Uh, we had to interrupt there right in the middle as you're talking about uh, the the preaching of the sale of indulgences by a specific preacher in in Germany at the time by the name of Tetzel. So here he is. He's coming in. He's come up with this nice little ditty of, hey, spring your, your loved ones out of purgatory as he's teaching uh, an inauthentic uh, version of what indulgences are. Go ahead and pick right back up where you left off. Yeah. So Luther and many other people are are rightly scandalized by the way that uh, Johann Tetzel is preaching this like notion that you can just kind of buy your way out of purgatory. And, you know, a lot of people are responding. It, it becomes a superstitious sort of corruption of it. And so this is what originally sparks Luther posting the 95 Theses. Now, there's this idea, um, well, I guess there were two extremes. One is Luther, I mean, he doesn't just have one point to make. He's got 95 different points he's trying to make. And some of those are really good points and some of them aren't. He seems to have originally thought that because he was so convinced of his own arguments, the church would be too. And that wasn't the case, of course. He was right on some issues, wrong on some issues. Uh, the other extreme was this idea that, oh, the 16th century church was so corrupt and they were so in love with, you know, selling indulgences or the money-making thing that they were endorsed the sale of indulgences. Neither of those are true. Um, there was a response by the church at the Council of Trent. You actually get the, uh, the church coming together as a council, uh, looking specifically at purgatory, at, you know, the veneration relics of saints, and then at indulgences particularly. And what they say about indulgences is just like fascinating and nuanced and ends up being neither the sort of anti-Catholic uh, stereotype position. So they, in, they endorse indulgences. They say it's a power granted by Christ to the church, and that in some form we see it throughout the history of the church. But then it also says um, that there are abuses, which they say proceeded from superstition, mm -hmm. ignorance, irreverence, and other sources. And that there were many, they describe it as manifold corruptions, and the places and provinces where the abuses were committed. And so they made it very clear that you can't indulgences. So they openly acknowledge, like, yeah, there's a real problem here. And so in that sense, they sort of say, you know, Luther is right. This shouldn't have been happening. But they don't go as far as the Lutherans at that point would have in just rejecting the indulgences outright. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, even Martin Luther agreed with the existence of indulgences, at least at first. So the 95 Theses, they're supposed to start the Reformation and this great kind of declaration of independence from a Protestant perspective. That's sort of the, the legend and lore around them. But in fact, there's one anathema clause in the entire 95 Theses, and it's number 71, in which Luther says, let him who speaks against the truth concerning papal indulgences be anathema and accursed. 
So he actually endorses, he says, yeah, the Pope has the power to, you know, issue indulgences and anyone who denies that it's a, is a curse of damnation. Mm-hmm. And so he has stronger words against modern day Protestants than he does even against uh, those who abuse things within the Catholic church. We've been talking today with Joe Heschmeyer about indulgences, purgatory, and and their part in the the being a catalyst in the Protestant Reformation. You can find out more of Joe Heschmeyer's work over at shamelesspopery.com. Great blog there. Go check it out. Uh, let's turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. Let's begin over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each one must be careful how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is there, namely Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the work of each will come to light, for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If the work stands that someone built upon the foundation, that person will receive a wage. But if someone's work is burned up, that one will suffer loss. The person will be saved, but only as one through fire. That reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, based on this scripture and based on the church's understanding of purgatory, with our thoughts, our words, and our deeds— What kind of house are we building? What kind of thing are we building on the foundation, which is Christ? Are these the kinds of things that are going to survive in the last day? Are are we building with virtues? Are we building up uh, uh, something that's going to last into eternity? Or are we building with bad habits and vices? When we are purified with fire, will there be anything left? And I love that he says, regardless of this process, uh, that person will be saved, right? They'll still be saved just as one through fire. And this is something that we ought to consider as we live our daily life. Our reading from church history today comes from a letter to Proba by St. Augustine. And I think that it it should point out to us uh, the importance of prayer and the importance of living a life of, of virtue, of not being dissuaded or overwhelmed Uh, by the the life of holiness, but rather to pursue it at all costs. And we hear him say this, Why in our fear of not praying as we should, do we turn to so many things to find what we should pray for? Why do we not say instead in the words of the psalm, I have asked one thing from the Lord. This is what I will seek, to dwell in the Lord's house all the days of my life, to see the graciousness of the Lord and to visit his temple. There, the days do not come and go in succession, and the beginning of one day does not mean the end of another. All days are one, simultaneously and without end. And the life lived out in these days has itself no end. So that we might obtain this life of happiness, he who is true life itself taught us to pray, not in many words as though speaking longer could gain us a hearing. After all, we pray to one who, as the Lord himself tells us, knows what we need before we ask for it. Why he should ask us to pray when he knows what we need before we ask him may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for he cannot fail to know it. 
but wants us rather to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. His gift is very great indeed, but our capacity is too small and limited to receive it. That is why we are told, enlarge your desires. Do not bear the yoke with unbelievers. The deeper our faith, the stronger our hope, the greater our desire, the larger will be our capacity to receive that gift, which is very great indeed. No eye has seen it. It has no color. No ear has heard it. It has no sound. It has not entered man's heart. Man's heart must enter into it. In this faith, hope, and love, we pray always with unwearied desire. However, at set times and seasons, we also pray to God in words, so that by these signs we may instruct ourselves and mark the progress we have made in our desire, and spur ourselves on to deepen it. The more fervent the desire, the more worthy will be its fruit. When the apostle tells us, pray without ceasing, he means this, desire unceasingly that life of happiness, which is nothing if not eternal, and ask it of him who alone is able to give it. That reading comes from a letter to Proba by St. Augustine. And even in this reading today, I, I see whispers and shades of, of the suggestion that we need entire sanctification, that our prayer, that our practices by which we receive indulgences, uh, whether that be uh, going and praying at, at a cemetery uh, during the week after All, All Saints, whether that be uh, certain other practices that are uh, laid out for us that have an indulgence attached to them. Uh, these things are not for their own sake, but they are, as St. Augustine says, uh, there to enlarge our desires so that the gift that God wishes to give us, that gift of the beatific vision, seeing God himself face to face in heaven, that we will be able to hold on to it. Our life gets filled up with so many things, so many distractions, so many uh, desires that are unpleasing to God, our attachments to venial sins, to things that just don't matter in the eternal sense of life, that we have no room for the gift that God wants to give us. And so we seek after uh, sanctification. We seek to become more holy, to, to, to become more like Christ. And as we do this, as we live a life that is uh, unconcerned with the externals of the world and focused on Christ, as that verse says, one thing I ask and that I would seek to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty. When we do that, now he comes into our heart. He enlarges our capacity for the good things of God, those good things that he gives to us in himself in heaven. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. You're not going to want to miss next week's episode as it is a special All Saints episode. This week's episode has been brought to you by Josh and Christina Kleehammer and all the folks who support us through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and see how you can support the show and get cool stuff in the process. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.